Greetings, Greenhouse people. Once again, we're here with another episode of Tech on Demand, brought to you by my friends at Grower Talks Magazine. If you don't receive Grower Talks and Green Profit every month, head over to growertalks.com and subscribe. The magazine's been a pillar of the industry for more than 75 years. You definitely want this venerable publication landing on your desk every month. And speaking of subscribing, be sure to subscribe to the Tech On Demand podcast on your favorite podcast app, like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and many more. Once you subscribe, you'll never miss an episode. And this is episode 37, which means you have 36 in the archive to check out. I'm your host, Bill Calkins, and this is the third and final episode in a three-part miniseries called The Dynamics of Growing Media. Hopefully you listened to the first two, and if not, jump back in the archives to get caught up. The plan for the series is to take you through the importance of testing, sampling, and analysis so you're set up to grow the best crops possible. We'll cover media testing, water testing, plant tissue testing, and a whole lot more with Troy Beagle from Premier Tech, the company behind Promix. Once again, Troy's a leading technical greenhouse expert with lots of hands-on experience working with greenhouses of all shapes and sizes. You can be assured he's seen it all when it comes to greenhouse problems and solutions. By the end of this series, and the end of this episode, you're going to have a lot more knowledge about how and why to sample soil media, water, and plant tissue in order to get ahead of greenhouse problems and assess and analyze issues if and when they occur. This episode wraps up the mini-series and sort of ties a bow on the topic as we discuss what to look for in the data and analyze the results effectively. But before we get started, a little bit about Troy. Troy Beekle has a bachelor and master's in horticulture and has been a horticulture specialist with Premier Tech Grower Services since 1995. Based in Quakertown, Pennsylvania, he covers the Mid-Atlantic and Eastern Midwest and is committed to offering growers alternatives, new ideas, support, and solutions that suit their ever-evolving requirements and needs. He specialized in flowering plants, and more precisely, plant nutrition and water quality. You're going to once again be amazed at his level of knowledge and experience. He's made dozens of videos throughout the years presenting the specificities and advantages of growing media products and provides tools to solve different growing problems. And that's what he's going to do today in our third and final episode of The Dynamics of Growing Media. Let's dive in. Troy, welcome to the podcast. Thanks again, Bill, for to be here for part three. I'm looking forward to it. For sure, for sure. And part three is really where the rubber hits the road in this discussion. So we are Two episodes in, starting episode number three in a three-part miniseries looking at uh, growing media and uh, the importance of testing, sampling, and now analyzing the results. So we're going to try to put the first two podcasts into action because you've given a lot of really good information about what to test, when to test, why to test, and then very, very thorough uh, suggestions on how to create the best uh, sampling experience. Um, so for this episode, why don't you set us up a little bit by sharing what our listeners can expect once a test is complete and maybe just how complex is this information? 
That's a good question, Bill. So what I'm going to focus on, um, you know, we could really focus on a number of different areas, but I'm going to focus specifically on uh, looking at the uh, growing media and the, the tissue in this particular discussion. I'm not going to focus so much on water because I think there's a lot of good information out there that has been written about water, where the nutrient level should be and all that. But I think there's less about media and tissue. So we're going to kind of focus on that. Uh, and the goal is to look at it from kind of the big picture aspect. And we'll kind of go into some of the main things that I see in testing. And I do realize this is complicated. Um, it takes experience to figure it out. But like I mentioned in, in part two, there are people you can talk to, whether it's uh, people from your media company, your fertilizer company. Uh, you can consult with, with many different consultants out there, but you can get information if you need it. Okay, and that, that's good to know. And I think it gives listeners confidence um, because you did suggest they test often, um, that they sample uh, when it, whenever you run into a problem, you're sampling thoroughly. Uh, so it is good to know that there are plenty of resources out there to help you make sense of the information that's coming back. Um, but we're going to try to do some of that right now. So why don't we, uh, we jump right in. And I guess my first question is what are the important numbers to look at? And, and maybe you can take them point by point, like you have in the previous two episodes, looking at the pH, the EC, and nutrient levels uh, when it comes to growing media and tissue. Um, if that makes sense, I think that I'd be really interested and the listeners would be interested to hear what you have to say on those on those points. Sure. Yeah, and you, you, you hit a couple of them right on the head, Bill. Uh, yeah, we're going to focus on pH. A lot of people know about this, but it's, it's more for review. And then we'll talk a little bit about EC or electrical conductivity, uh, kind of give you a ballpark of where we need to be there. But then we'll dive into the macronutrients, not so much the actual numbers so much, but more of just some of the things to look for. And we'll talk about micronutrients. And last, we'll talk about those contaminants, as I call them, like your sodium, your chloride, fluoride, that type of thing. Um, but first, let's, let's start by... When it comes to media testing, uh, one thing I didn't mention in the first two would be the type of testing. There, there's different forms of testing, and all comes down to how much water do you add to the media sample. So there's the saturated media extract, which is all the numbers I, I'm going to be referring to here will be wrapped around the saturated media extract. And the reason why I focus on that is most labs also do saturated media extract. And basically what that looks like is you take your media sample put in a, in some type of cup and add enough water so the media is not floating, but there's enough, and, and again, you want to use deionized water, uh, just enough so that the, the mix looks really wet and it actually looks like it's glistening on top because there's maybe a little bit of free water sitting on top. And of course, uh, the other thing with that is when you're testing the media, you want to let it sit 45 minutes and then test your pH and EC for your in-house. Something I didn't mention earlier. Uh, there are also two to one dilutions, five to one dilutions. Those will don't change the pH results too much, but definitely will have an impact on the EC. Obviously, more water you add, the more diluted the nutrients are. So your normal levels will, will decline from there. Uh, so what we're going to concentrate on will be the saturated media type extract type discussion. So with that, 
pH. So I think everybody's really aware of pH. So as I mentioned in earlier podcast, we were talking about the ideal pH range on growing media should be between about 5.5 and 6.2. We mentioned earlier, if your pH is too high, it tends to make micronutrients uh, unavailable. Your boron, your copper, your iron, manganese, zinc become insoluble. So crops can't take it up. You know, I mentioned before the types of crops, your calabacoa, your dioecia, dianthus, nemesia, pansy, petunia, snapdragons, verbena, and vinca. Try to say that 10 times fast. A lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and there are others like peppers and basil and, and other crops. They they like the micronutrients. So if you look at your overall crop, you start seeing them yellow. Uh, these particular crops, you know that your pH is probably running a little bit high overall in the crops. Uh, so in that case, testing should confirm or should be looked at to see if that, in fact, is the case. Um, on the other side of the fence, if your pH is running low, what you're going to see is uh, probably more or less micronutrient toxicity issues. So in that case, those same elements, your boron, your copper, iron, manganese, zinc become more soluble. So they're much easier for your plants to take them up and can take them up in too high levels. So your crops, such as your geraniums, both your seed and zonal, your lysianthus, your marigolds, your guinea patients, pentus, I would look at those crops, see those older leaves are kind of getting a crusty, kind of little brown speckly leaf edges that kind of advance inward. That could be an indication that your pH is running a little bit low. So really, if your pH is running low, your petunias probably look fantastic. If your pH is running high, your geraniums look fantastic. So you can use these kind of indicator crops. And so that's kind of what we're looking at with pH. So again, the main thing is stay in the range. If not, micronutrient toxicities can occur at low pH. Micronutrient deficiencies typically occur at high pH. Um, I think another thing I'll, I'll state with that is, and I've seen this happen kind of a little story here, but I'll see, for instance, a customer will test their iron in their growing media and we'll find that the crop is iron deficient. But it's assumed that if I see iron deficiency, it's got to be a high pH problem. And that is true. That can certainly be a cause. But I can't tell you how many times I've seen it's from lack of iron being applied. A lot of customers don't realize this, but some with some of our crops, like our caliber cone petunia specifically, there's not a lot of iron being applied in the standard 2020. So what do we do to compensate? We bump the rate up on the feed to try to bump up the iron content. Uh, but again, it may some it, it, it may not necessarily be a pH problem. So that's something to keep in mind. Next, I want to talk about the electrical conductivity, which is uh, BC. It kind of measures the amount of salts in the growing media coming from, again, your water, your fertilizer solution, any injected acids, and of course, the growing media itself. So for young plants, so we're talking about seeds, cuttings that you're starting up. And generally speaking, your seeds, you, you want to see an EC in there of about 0.5 to a maximum 1.5. That's when the seedlings are getting a little bit older and that's expressed in millimoles per centimeter. Um, if you go above that, you might start burning seedlings. If you go below that, it's not necessarily a problem, but it's an indication it's time to feed. With liners, liners, of course, are root cuttings that you, you're trying to root out. They can tolerate a little bit more fertilizer. So your EC range, ideally, you'd like to be between 
1.7 millimoles per centimeter. Uh, I've seen it where, for instance, petunias are caliber coal. Once they're fully rooted out, you could probably even bump it up to 2.0. But again, that that's at the end of the crop cycle. That is not in the beginning. So your older plants, those that are been transplanted, so you're taking your plugs or your liners, now you're transplanting them up into the final pot size. For light feeding plants like your uh, lobelia, your alyssum, um, a lot of your seed propagated stuff, I should say, you want to try to keep your EC between 0.7 and 1.7 millimoles per centimeter. For your heavier feeders, a lot of your vegetative plant material, you want to be higher. You want to be between about 1.0 and about 2.5 uh, millimoles per centimeter. So within that range, if you're at the lower end of that range, chances are you definitely need to be fertilizing. And if you're at the upper end of the range, you want to try to, um, you know, obviously back off and feed. So one of the questions I get sometimes is, let's say you're fertilizing, and let's just throw some numbers out there. Let's say your EC on, let's say, um, I don't know, New Guinea patient, that's a bad one, uh, geranium crop. Let's say it, it's 1.5 at this testing. Next time you test, it's 2.0. Next time you test, it's 2.8. Next time you test, it's 3.6. If you're doing that, obviously you see a trend is occurring where your, your EC keeps climbing. So either you're applying too high of a fertilizer rate and maybe you need to cut back on the rate, or perhaps maybe there's something accumulating in there that the plant can't use coming from the fertilizer or more specifically coming from the water. Again, you can use those ECs to determine if, if you're progressing in the wrong direction, look at your feed rate first or, and probably send a sample off the lab to make sure it's not, you know, contaminants coming from the water. Accumulating. Um, Next topic would be your macronutrients. As I broke down, broke down macro and micro because the discussion is slightly different between them. So in macronutrients, now we're going to kind of focus on media and tissue simultaneously. Um, so probably specifically talking about growing media. Uh, so when we're talking about macronutrients, what are we referring to? So we're talking about nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, calcium, magnesium, and your sulfate or sulfur, depending on how you look at it. So the first question I get is, all right, let's say I do an analysis on the growing media, and these are low. You know, the first question I get is, well, what does that indicate? Well, the bottom line is it's just simply indication that it's not being applied at the proper rate. Macronutrients are not really tied into pH that much, although pH does influence them. I always think of pH as pH influences maybe the first three, four, five parts per million, and anything beyond that is kind of based on just purely how much you need. So as an example, you know, calcium is more available at a higher pH and a lower pH, but if you need 40, 50 parts per million calcium in your media at all times, and your pH is low, that doesn't necessarily mean you, you, your calcium deficiency is a pH problem. It probably just needs to be added. Um, so pH does really have limited availability on those elements. Uh, you know, the main things I see as far as nutrient deficiencies, it's usually revolving around the calcium, magnesium, and sulfur. A lot of fertilizers do not provide them. Uh, those that do, like your CalMags, usually they, they provide them at, at a, a, a moderate rate. Uh, so again, you look at those in a media test because those are important. So for instance, if your calcium is low, things you want to look at is possibly looking at 
a CalMeg type fertilizer, switching to that, or maybe a 15015, which is um, is 11% calcium, so it gives you a lot at one time. pH again, you can look at pH. pH doesn't influence the availability, but again, if your pH is not right, that that create create a problem as well. The other two, the magnesium and sulfur. Again, if it's just magnesium only, you can look at Epsom salts. I mean, I'm sorry. You'll look at that a little bit later. You can look at a CalMeg type fertilizer, but a lot of times, 80% of the water analyses I look at, I always recommend Epsom salts. Because between fertilizer and water, there's just simply not enough magnesium being supplied and sulfur. So Epsom salts is a nice rescue. A lot of times you're looking at two to three ounces per hundred gallons, of, I mean, per gallon of water injected at one to 100. Very typical recommendation. Of course, you can't mix Epsom salts with calcium-based fertilizers because it'll form precipitates. Um, those are the main ones that usually get kind of twisted out of shape and have a little bit more requirement. Now, if your macronutrient levels are are going the other way, if they're getting become too high, as I mentioned earlier, uh, leaching is the best way to take care of that problem. And of course, looking at your fertilizer application rate. If it's running a little bit high, you want to try to reduce the application rate. Uh, within the nitrogen world, ammonium is something we want to look at. Uh, ammonium is something that can cause problems for, for growers. Not well, kind of this time of year where you get this cloudy, cold weather and inconsistency, more, more so early March and in the late February. So the problem is when the plant takes up ammonium, uh, it, it will take it up as it is and at high levels in the tissue can actually cause ammonium toxicity. During the cold time year, when there's nitrate and ammonium in the growing weed, we have different microorganisms that will convert it between different forms. And a lot of times there's what we call a form called nitrite, which is a conversion step between the nitrate to ammonium uh, based on the microorganisms. When it's cold in the greenhouse, the growing weed is cold, uh, it can actually induce toxicity. Nitrite is extremely toxic to plants at just one or two parts per million. Um, so that coupled with the ammonium, I think a lot of times ammonium toxicity, toxicity can be tied to nitrate. So again, ammonium, you want to try to be under 30 parts per million during the cold winter months. Once you start getting into the warmer time of year, once you get into April and May, the ammonium side is critical, but it is critical in the colder time of year. Just like, you know, if you're feeding with a standard 20, 10, 20, 200 parts per million, you're putting on about 80 parts per million ammonium. And you just told me that I shouldn't be putting out more than 30. Typically, I don't usually see a problem, but again, if that ammonium starts to accumulate or become a, a problem, you might want to look at maybe using something a little bit less ammonium in, in the winter months. But keep in mind that ammonium is what acidifies your media. So if you reduce the ratio of ammonium, you can expect that the media pH might go up a little bit more. Um, Another thing to look at is phosphorus. Phosphorus is key when it comes to causing stretch in plants. The more phosphorus, the more stretching. So typically, as an example, a 20-10-20 at 2-1-2 ratio it is not a bad ratio, but the problem is the plant can't use all that phosphorus. Uh, what we've seen is that a 5-1-5 or 4-1-4 or, you know, the nitrogen and potassium could you know, ratio can change a little bit there. It's probably better as far as phosphorus accumulation. Um, 
So you, you want to look at that. You want to try to be at that 25 parts per million pure P or 60 parts per million if you're looking at P205, which is a typical number that you get back from the lab. Uh, to, you want to be at that or below that to try to avoid stretching out. And the other thing you want to look at with macronutrients is you know, we always focus on rates. You know, we want to be, let's say, 150 on our nitrogen. We want to be 25 on our phosphorus. We want to be 180 to 200 on our potassium. It's all great. But ratios also become, become an issue as well. So as an example, if one macronutrient is really high, let's say magnesium is a great example. Uh, calcium to magnesium ratio, you want to be somewhere between about two parts calcium to one part magnesium or four parts calcium to one part magnesium in kind of in that range. I've seen it invert the other way. I've seen it where magnesium is at four parts, the one part calcium, and the calcium may actually be normal, but the magnesium is just really high, and you can have a plant with calcium deficiency just because the magnesium levels are so high. The plant can't tell the difference between the two, so it takes up in the ratio that's available. Uh, other things to consider, so your your nitrogen, the potassium ratio, usually you want to be close to about one to one, um, depending on the crop and the time you're like tomatoes. Once you start going to a flowering stage, you probably want your nitrogen to start declining a little bit. So you don't want to see a one to one, maybe you see a one to 1.5 or maybe even a one to two, but uh, and that's in the growing media and also in the tissue as well. You usually like to see some of those ratios. But in general, one to one of those and a nitrogen and potassium to phosphorus ratio, you want to be somewhere between five or 10 to one. So five parts nitrogen to one part phosphorus, or you can go as high as 10 parts nitrogen, one part phosphorus. Again, nitrogen and potassium being about the same. And again, these ratios would be the same both in media and tissue. Just to give you a rough idea. This is where this is where we hear about balanced fertilizers and and all the work that the fertilizer companies are doing to make sure that they're getting those numbers right in their micros and their macros. Yeah, you know what? Most of the fertilizers that are, are produced out there are the, the the companies do a great job with balancing them out. They're really nice. Uh, a lot of people will notice that the newer fertilizers, the phosphorus, is actually lower than in some of the older ones, and that's because they're finding. The plants don't need all that phosphorus like they yeah. thought they did. I've read a lot of research on that, especially at uh, NC State. I know they're doing a lot of, they're looking a lot into phosphorus and requirements and we're learning a lot. It's kind of ongoing research that's we're learning as we speak. Yeah. So, yeah. Did I do that justice? I don't know, but go ahead. <laughs> oh, I, th I think, I think you did. Did, uh, was there anything else you wanted to touch on? You definitely, uh, Covered the pH, the EC, macros. Um, did, yeah. I you, did I give you enough time on micronutrients? Well, micronutrients would be my next one, and then I'll end with contaminants. Um, okay. Micronutrients is a lot more to discuss, and hopefully, I got enough uh, enough notes here to cover it all. <laughs> <laughs> so, so when we look at micronutrients, uh, pH is extremely important in the micronutrient world. Um, so when it comes to media and tissue, we may be seeing different things going on there. As an example, um, I mentioned this earlier that your micronutrients, except for molybdenum, all of them are um, 
when the pH is high, they become less available. When the pH is low, they become more available. So again, we, we need to know what the pH of the growing media is, and then we can use that to dictate what's going on in the tissue. So as an example, let's say your nutrient levels are normal, as far as micronutrients are fairly normal in the media, but your pH is 6.5. When we look at the tissue, we might see that iron and manganese are deficient. Well, it doesn't match up, but when we put that pH in there, we start to realize the pH is affecting the plant's ability to be able to take up those nutrients. Um, there are situations, though, I mean, when when we see that the iron is normal, the manganese is normal in the growing media, um, that's all accessible to the plant. But if the plant's shown a deficiency and the media looks normal, that means something changed from that analysis to two weeks earlier when the tissue would have been able to take it up but couldn't. So something changed in the fertility program. But specifically going to the micronutrients, um, you want to look at, you know, it's, I find it interesting. A lot of times we feed fertilizer based on what we think the plant needs, but a lot of times it's based on the micronutrient levels required by the plant. So we feed petunias real high rates of fertilizer, not because they necessarily need all the NPK, but because they need the iron. So we're finding that some growers are actually experimenting with using lower rates of feed on quote unquote heavy feeders but just bumping up the micronutrients and are having really good results with that. Um, so again, micronutrients are, are such an important piece of this whole thing. Um, so let's start going into it a little bit. So with micronutrients, when we look at media and tissue, the two that usually get most people in trouble would be the iron and manganese. Those are probably the, the number one and number two of required micronutrients by plants. Ratios are very important. Uh, we need to see a ratio of about two parts iron to one part manganese or as high as four parts iron to one part manganese, both media and tissue. If we don't see that, uh, what can happen is one can induce a deficiency of the other. So as an example, uh, I've had customers where we've, we've tested things and, and they have a definite iron deficiency but the iron levels in media are absolutely normal, but the tissues are low. And what we find is, as an example, you want to be at, let's say, two parts per million iron in your media, maybe one or a half part per million manganese. Well, sometimes I see it inverted, where the manganese is up around two, three parts per million, and the iron is down maybe to less than one part per million. That is a normal range on, or a normal rate for iron, but because the manganese is so high, the plant takes them up in the ratios that's available. So all of a sudden in the tissue, your, let's say your manganese is at 200 parts per million in the tissue, but your iron is at 70. And it clearly shows you have an iron deficiency going on, but yet your iron in your media is fine. So the manganese is brought down and the iron stayed the same, that would probably clear up the problem. But obviously your goal is to try to look at those ratios. That, that one's a very important one. Uh, other ratios I would consider is, uh, you know, a lot of times with, with molybdenum, uh, I tend to find that the rate, it, it, it's, it's such a low amount that the plant requires. Even if it barely registers on a media test, usually there's enough going into the tissue. So very rarely do I see a molybdenum deficiency unless, of course, your, your pH is really low. Uh, copper and zinc, again, once very rare do we see a deficiency or toxicity with those. 
Uh, usually we don't talk about those as much because, again, they're very rare. Um, and another one, boron. Now, boron is is a character because it can <laughs> it can create problems. Uh, boron, we can see uh, boron's one of those that the, the the difference between deficiency and toxicity is an extraordinarily narrow range. You know, you can be deficient at 0.3 parts per million in the growing media, and you can be in the toxicity of 0.6 parts per million depending on the crop growing. So to hit that sweet spot is, is very critical. Um, so boron is one of those elements that can become toxic or can be available at toxic levels in water. So we want to look at in a water test if we're at half part per million or more, it is of concern. So you might want to look at a boron-free fertilizer. So plugging it into the growing media, again, you want to try to be under half part per million in growing media. Uh, if we start going above that, we'll start seeing it accumulate in the tissue, and it can be at real high levels. Uh, so we have to look at that. And again, boron the problems do come up from time to time. On the other end of the boron scale, deficiency. So as an example, great example would be salvias. If you're growing salvias in your greenhouse, you notice your growth tips die out, and you get branches that come out, and those growth tips die out. You probably got a boron deficiency. You might see that your petunias as well as another one that typically will show that. Um, and, and sometimes I think even pansies are another one that's sensitive. So if you see that kind of that over, over, uh, shall we say, overabundant branching with dead tips, it's probably boron deficiency. And if you see that, look at two things. One, uh, look at the pH. pH is, could be a factor there. Uh, you also want to look at where your fertilizer level is, make sure you don't have a deficiency going on as well. Other factors with, with micronutrients, um, as a person who does help people out with water analyses, um, usually one of the factors I see, again, the most common deficiencies is iron deficiency. And it's not all that unusual. I will recommend to customers during a growing cycle, especially once they start getting into with spring crops and just start getting mid-April. It's not all that unusual in some of the petunias and salvacoa. We start seeing those new leaves coming out with green veins and yellow tissue. Uh, when that happens, usually iron chelate is, is a good recommendation or switching to a fertilizer that has higher levels of iron chelate. There are those occasions where, again, going back to you should do testing where it could be a manganese deficiency, but 9.9 .9 times out of 10, it's probably an iron deficiency. So again, an iron chelate typically is, is something we, we see that is very beneficial for a lot of crops. Um, and going a little bit more to the micronutrient correction issue, uh, generally speaking, if we see a deficiency in, let's say, boron, or we see a deficiency in manganese or, or iron, chances are if one's deficient because fertilizer companies do a great job of balancing them in their fertilizer package, there may be an overall Everything's a little bit on the low side. So if that's the case, it might be a good idea to use a complete micronutrient fertilizer with the six elements in there and apply that uh, at, at a lower rate just to just to clear up any, any problems. And I like the complete micronutrient fertilizer package because uh, those have a tendency to have it in the right ratios. So that would be one way to take care of it. 
So that's a lot of fragmented information yeah. on micronutrients. It's just kind of all over the place there. But I think what it what it illustrates is that uh, a visible sign on a plant can be so many different things, and that's why you need to test. I mean, it could be your yeah. ratios. It could be just not not feeding enough. It could be mm -hmm. uh, you know media pH. I mean, it's really kind of interesting that you know, a grower with a ton of experience in the greenhouse has probably seen a lot of these things happen, but, you know, is, you know, is what happened in the past, the same thing that's happening now. And that's probably really hard to, to make that conclusion unless, unless you've done the test, you've, you've really looked at the analysis. So, um, you know, it gets to what we said in the first episode, it's, you know, you don't want to make assumptions because you could take you down a completely wrong path to a solution. Mm -hmm. You know, how, how often in your experience are, are the, the, is the analysis, um, I guess, is the, is the analysis lead to a correct solution? I mean, is that when, when you really look through the results, um, mm -hmm. are you able to then determine the correct path and then does it work? Yeah, um, it depends on what it is. Obviously, correction always takes some time. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, uh, one thing that, that I always that I happens a lot is New Guinean patients. Um, New Guinean patients, the old adage kind of applies: if a little fertilizer is good, none is better. Mm -hmm. So, <laughs> uh, it, it's not all unusual. I'll see customers or uh, uh, growers that will. For right, rightful reasons, they don't take the salts real well in the beginning, and they, they tend to stretch a lot with fertilizer. So if you have older mix that doesn't have a starter fertilizer charge, it's, it's kind of used up, or maybe they just wait four weeks before they apply fertilizer, uh, they'll see uneven growth, and, and overall the plants just don't look like they're doing well. The leaves are real thin. There's reddening in the leaves, all that. And... You know, obviously, clearly that's a deficiency, but it can be misinterpreted as something else because the grower might feel that, well, I'm not supposed to feed them early because of stretch or burn. Um, so they will just simply withhold the fertilizer, not knowing that they're doing anything wrong. And then the plants don't perform right. So that, that leads to a lot of questions. That's why testing is good. Uh, a simple EC test in growing you will tell you something's not right there. Um, so simply feeding them usually tends to correct them. It's a good example where uh, uh, you could go completely down the wrong path, but a simple test would would show you where, where you need to, to move in terms of that fertility. That, that makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. um, as, we, as we wrap up, I'm trying to think of any follow-up questions, but you've covered so much and so thoroughly that mm -hmm. uh, how about how about a, a story? You know, how about ending or ending or closing us up with with a, a success story or a, a example of some production issues that have been overcome by you know the testing and, and analysis of results and uh, something that that's kind of the light bulb went on and this this is what that grower needed to do to uh, to rescue a crop or move down move down a path to uh, to a good crop. Yeah, I'm going to do that. I, I there was just one other uh, factor I forgot about was the contaminants in the water. Oh yeah, 
it, that going into growing me. So I'll go into that and then we'll, if I forget, you can ask me the question again, but we'll go into some okay. success stories. I just want to mention this because I think it's important. So um, when I talk about contaminants, I'm talking about the sodium chloride in the water and how that impacts the growing media. Uh, again, a lot of things we talked about before, but sodium, if it's high, you know, above 80 parts per million in the water, you put that on the growing media. Uh, it's all about competition. So when there's high levels of, of sodium in the growing media, it interferes with uptake of calcium, potassium, magnesium, and other elements. Um, so when, when we see that, we want to try to watch that. So a lot of times to counteract that, we might bump up our fertilizer rate a little bit to try to give the plant more options of healthy nutrients as opposed to contaminants. But the other thing is, uh, here's, here's some tricks of the trade. So in the tissue, if you see high levels of sodium accumulating, but it's not really high in the, in the growing media itself and it's not high in the water, Sodium is a stress indicator. Anytime you see sodium accumulating in your tissue, that's an indication that those plants are under stress. And it could be typically it's from nutrient deficiencies, but it could be, um, it could also be an indication of uh, nutrient imbalances or other things. But again, stress, if a plant's stressed, it's accumulating sodium. So, and that rate depends on the type of plant it actually is. Chloride. Again, same thing, when, when there's a lot of chloride going into the growing media, it will tend to um, compete with the uptake of things like this nitrate, sulfate, phosphate. So again, if you get a lot of chloride in your water, 50 parts per million, 80, whatever it is in the water, keep in mind that will compete with the uptake of those nutrients. So again, keeping that fertilizer level up a little bit, try to counteract that is important. So with that, some positive stories here. Um, yeah, I I can't tell you. Uh, well, great example, uh, and I see this happening a lot. Whenever uh, a customer runs across this, or, or a grower runs across this, uh, uneven crop growth. So, as an example, let's say they're looking at a crop in New Guinea's, or I see this a lot in vegetable transplants. But it looks like hills and valleys when you look at the top of the crop. Some plants are tall, next to short ones, and it's kind of like this flowing kind of pattern of short tall, short, tall, short, tall. And when that's usually seen, of course, you got your normal plants next to abnormal plants. And of course, the question is, why is this happening? What's going on? Uh, testing will tell you that it's a nutrient deficiency. Typically, uh, overall, everything's on the low side. Every time I've seen this wavy kind of little bumps of, of high next to short plants, uh, usually it's a lack of fertilizer. And those plants are hungry and feed. So when I see that, we'll test it, we'll confirm that. Nitrogen comes back at maybe five parts per million in the media. It shows deficient in the tissue. Uh, usually we can correct that with fertilizer and it's really good. Another one I think, and most growers know this, they see this happening enough, but let's say you're going real light on the feed and the plants are on the floor or on the bench. They have hanging baskets above which are being fed at a higher rate or they've been there longer so they're just getting a higher rate. The water that drips out the bottom of the of the pan of the, the hanging basket, it drips on the plants right below. You'll I've seen this where all the plants are kind of a little more trying to keep them keep them short so they kind of feed them a little bit less. But you get this this big green hill underneath every hanging basket in the greenhouse. So it's kind of a neat little little thing. Again, you can visually figure out what's going on there, but 
<laughs> but it's something that that's worth looking into and testing if you're not sure. That's funny. I've definitely seen that, and I've heard tales from uh, from from our folks that travel and visit greenhouses of, of that issue. And even some of the best greenhouses they've been in, they still see things like that 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 they look at and go, "Oh, come on! Didn't you, didn't you notice?" Yeah, that? you know, growing, you know, a grower, you know, hats off to them because they are dealing with so many different variables. Yeah, and there's just so many inputs that go into growing a crop. Um, there, there's just a lot of things that can happen. I mean, I'm only telling pieces of, of the total picture. I mean, we got pesticides, we got pests, we got insects, we got contaminants coming off your, your heater. I mean, there's just so many variables that makes it difficult. So true. That's so true. It's like, uh, it's like you guys are CSI investigators trying to, <laughs> you know, just eliminate variables and figure out. But I, but I do think again, that gets to the, the value of, of testing and, and looking at the the data to come up with that to come up with that solution, and um, this really has been a fantastic discussion. I think all three parts have uh, have been packed with information. I think it'll help uh, demystify some of these processes for the listeners, and hopefully take away some of the fear or reluctance to um, really performing these tests regularly, uh, because. You know, it's one of those things you don't want to you don't want to ignore um, the the consistent testing because of the information that it can can provide back and help you solve problems so much more quickly. So, um, again, I'm sure that there are questions. You know, this this episode particularly, there was a lot of information, a lot of ratios that you discussed, a lot of how one deficiency might impact you know something else down the road. So if, if listeners want to reach out to you or anyone on your team, um, how would you suggest uh, they go about getting more information from Premier Tech? Uh, we've talked a little bit about the videos you guys have put out. I'm sure some of this is in there as well. Um, what, uh, what, how, where would you direct uh, listeners who want to who learn more or connect? Sure. Well, first, our website, pthorticulture.com, has a lot of good um, uh, videos and more specifically articles that are meant to be educational. We also can be followed on Twitter, Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, and of course we have a YouTube channel which um, gives more information, video format to, to help people understand some of the growing concepts out there. Again, the purpose of all this is to really help help customers understand the relationship between the, their inputs and how that affects the growing media. Because there's a lot of a lot of variables out there. They're not about saying that, oh, it, you know, this is not a blame game. This is about here's some variables. Here's what can happen. You know, let's let's sit down and talk about it. Let's look at it. So, yeah, a lot of a lot of things that go into growing crop. Awesome. This is uh, this has been great. And I really appreciate you sharing so much information. Like you said, more than more than two decades of being in greenhouses, solving these problems, you've probably seen uh probably seen a lot and there's probably a lot that you haven't seen so uh yes, there is. <laughs> so we'll, we'll have to we'll have to circle back uh soon and, and do this again because i do i think that there there's more of this that we can dig into and uh and really help uh, growers out there uh grow their best crops i mean that that's everyone's goal here so i'm really appreciative of your time and your expertise thank you so much troy 
Well, Bill, it's been uh, it's been fun, and I hope that your uh, listeners will get a lot of good information out of this. I I know I enjoy doing it, so hopefully, I can impart some some of my limited wisdom to somebody else. You're 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 too humble. So this <laughs> is it's been this has been fantastic. So as a reminder, this was episode number three. If you haven't listened to episode one and two, which talked about testing and sampling, I suggest uh, now's the time to go back and give those a listen because it really builds up to this final episode on analysis and action. So uh, check them out, subscribe to uh, Tech On Demand podcast, and then you'll never miss an episode. So I'm Bill Calkins with Tech On Demand brought to you by Grower Talks. On behalf of Troy and the entire team at Premier Tech, have a fantastic season.